gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have the one, the only. Welcome to the State Lines Network. Hey friends, welcome to episode 16 of the Boldly Going Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Sowell, and really excited. Once again, as always, I'm pretty excited about all our episodes, but I'm really excited about this one for you. Good friend of mine named Nick Pratt. Uh, Nick is a fantastic guy. He's one of the funniest people I've ever known. Uh, just naturally really funny and uh, all around kind of brilliant. He is uh, he's a Navy veteran and also uh, going to school for uh, filmmaking. He's uh, working on films, making films, he's writing, writing stuff, uh, just uh, kind of chasing his dream that he's had ever since he was a kid. And uh, he just put out a short film that we're really excited about. Uh, you can actually go find him on uh, YouTube, and you can see uh, his short film that he has out called Distilled. Uh, really great uh, six-minute short, six-and-a-half-minute short. If you go on to YouTube and look and uh, search for Nicholas Pratt Films, Nicholas Pratt Films, you'll find him there. Uh, on the site, uh, you'll you'll see links to his uh, social media. We'll have a link to the to the film directly as well. So uh, on state. Uh, lines.com you'll you'll find it there but I'm really excited for the conversation we had uh, I titled it uh, from something that he said in the uh, in in our talk and it was really torn between two titles but I settled on everyone is one at a movie uh, brilliant statement we talk a little bit about uh, the community aspect of watching films and being in a theater with people and those moments, those surprise moments throughout films and that everyone is is kind of that one uh, unit, that one uh, body all together at the same time and uh, just what a thrill that can be and uh, just that collective oneness in that moment is really cool. The other uh, the other working title for this episode is all is Turn on the Inner Indiana Jones, uh, which is something that he talks about Indiana Jones being one of his favorite films and why. And that's near the end of the episode, so make sure you stick all the way through. Hear the story. It's a really great, uh, very moving story for him on why Indiana Jones is uh, such a big uh, – his favorite film. And um, – and that inner Indiana Jones that he talks about is really interesting. So uh, check that out. Um, as always, uh, get on the site. Check out the other, uh, some of the other podcasts, things we have going on. Go to state-lines.com, the State Lines Podcast Network. Uh, there's uh, some great stuff on there. There's some podcasts that are already great on there. Some articles that are great. And also Nick Pratt, Nick himself, who is uh, the guest on this episode, he is also starting his own uh, podcast on the State Lines Network that's coming out uh, the next uh, couple months, and we talk about that a little bit in the episode as well. So make sure you check that out. And uh, again, always want to encourage you to be involved in your community, give back in some way. I'd love for you to do that through uh, partnering with our organization, the organization that I run called Current Initiatives. You can check that out at engagecurrent.org. And uh, get involved in what we do and volunteer, but do something in your community. Don't just sit around. Give back to your community on some level. Uh, there's easy things to do. There's a lot of ways that you can get involved in your city, wherever you're at. Uh, so please do that. And uh, again, welcome to another episode of the Boldly Going Podcast. You get to hear another uh, creative, brilliant, inspirational person of the universe here on planet Earth. And his name is Nick Pratt. So here we go. Let's jump into the conversation.
I think I've seen you more in the past uh, past week than I've seen you in like two years. You know, somebody else, Eric said that. He's like, we've seen each other five times this year. That's enough. We gotta wait five more years. Each year is a day too, I see. There's too much. It's too too much Nick Pratt. <laughs> I can understand that. I mean, it was too 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 much to handle. I like that T-shirt, by the way, Quince. Oh, thank you. Well, Amity Island, I dig it. I got two or three Jaw shirts. I got another one that has the boat it says Orca, and then the uh, outline of the boat it has the oh, outline see, of the yeah, Jaws on the boat. Mm-hmm. The best one you have though. Is Jawas? I mean, yes. let's be honest. That's the yeah. I, I, I you know some some really cool guy gave that to me. <laughs> That's right. Sure was. Sure was a cool guy. He's all right. Yeah, whatever. All right. So be careful on the table here. Okay. Anything you do is gonna this uh, trust the old microphone. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Okay. Because yeah, get, get a little drum beat in there. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. All right. Sorry. You're welcome to all the listeners. Just, <laughs> oh, we're going now? This, yeah, yeah. Oh. We've been going this whole time. No. You yeah. lie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got all the terrible things you said about your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I guess we better pack it up. <laughs> and no, let's go to the bar because I'm going to be uh, out of one by tomorrow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, man. No, next week. This won't, this won't go up till next week. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm trying I'm to kidding. get my bearings straight. I'm kidding. I'll cut out all the bad things and you can say all the nice things now. <laughs> Just kidding, you didn't say anything bad so about it. So we're you. going? And- <laughs> <laughs> didn't say anything. Uh, anyway, so Nick Pratt. Got the old Nick Pratt on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Mr. Sal. Of course, man. Thanks for being on. You're welcome. Uh, so let's let's hear your life story, Nick Pratt. My life story? Yeah. Actually, oh. I do. Um, we were, before we started recording, started talking about killing jokes. So let's, right. let's, let's start there. Yeah. Let me give a little context. Nick Pratt, uh, local celebrity to Tampa, Florida. Who walked uh, in? You. Oh. Uh, you're in a, you're a film school. You are a filmmaker. Just put out your first film today, which we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was your first film, right? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. my first one. Uh, in film school, you've been in the Navy. Uh, you've protected my life in the Navy. Uh, I do what I got to do for the greater good of mankind. You've done it. You've done it. You've done a lot. So I want to... Yeah, so let's start with Killing Joke, because we saw that the other night. What was, what was your thought? Sure. Um, I, you I, hated it. Why did you dislike it? Fucking stupid movie. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> how dare they make a movie off that? No. Um, I No. I didn't not like it, you know, but I didn't like it. I'm kind of in the middle. Okay. Um, I know that Killing Joke is roughly, you know, 30-something odd pages total, uh, that comic book. Right, and uh, it's going to be kind of hard to make you know uh, an animated feature off of that alone. So you got to have something before that. You got to have a nice little filler, a nice little intro for the story, which I thought they did a good job of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, because without it, you would have had like a sitcom um, running time of a movie. Who right. wants to go to the theaters or who wants to sit down and watch that if it isn't a sitcom or a TV show? Yeah. Um, with that. I, I wasn't really invested in it as much. Okay. Um, in that first half, um, I understand it was a leading up to point to the killing joke when that clicked in halfway through. I think I was turned off by the um, the weird and spoiler alert or anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoilers if you have not seen Killing Joke yet, which I think this I think it'll be out digitally by the time this goes goes up. I think it came out digitally yesterday. Yeah. 
Because I see people on Facebook watching it. Today, oh, okay. So. so I think you're good. Yeah. Okay. But, but spoilers. Let's spoil if you shit at it. Yeah. If you've never read the book and haven't seen the movie, spoilers. Yeah. Go for it. Here we go now. Um, I didn't like the whole Batgirl, Batman weird sex scene on the roof. And it uh-huh. was weird being in a theater full of people that were going, oh, nice booty <laughs> on Batgirl. And it can't. Yeah, that is. Yeah. It was kind of, it was just kind of like. Ugh. I mean, they weren't wrong, but. Yeah. To just, <laughs> if that's your thing, uh, uh, Batman pornography, I hear it's batography. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That, yeah. Not even just the. And clarify, it wasn't, I mean, it was a quote unquote sex scene. It right. didn't show them having sex, right. it, it alluded to they had. They had sex. Like sure. That is what was going on. Went to black and then goes to the next mm-hmm. goes to the next scene. But there was a weird kind of love story between the between the two of them, which I don't think I've ever seen in comics before. Right. And when you read the Killing Joke, I think it's already established that uh, Batgirl and Batman, uh, as much as Batman has this um, outer shell of, of hardness and. Uh, He's he's always kind of off-puttish, and he doesn't. He's he's just a hard Clint Eastwood individual. Yeah, he does care for the people like uh, Barbara Gordon and right. Jason Todd, and you know, etc. Mm-hmm. I don't think we needed to see um, that specific moment in the movie because I think I think we already know that he cares enough about her that when she does get shot, when she does um, get paralyzed, um, you know that that's enough already. Right. I, I I don't I think that part could have been left out. It was just weird to me that this, yeah. we had to establish that Batman cares for her over a sex scene, and then the weird, well, I'm going to call you, but I'm not going to call you. Why aren't you answering the phone, Batman, when I'm calling you? You know that yeah. weird. Yeah. Point. Yeah. No, I got you. Uh, I think. I mean, it would make sense to me that Batgirl would maybe have a crush on Batman. Right. Uh, I I kind of wonder if they kind of went with that with that kind of story arc throughout mm-hmm. to maybe they thought this will help cater to or bring in the the female element of uh, you know the or the not the female element but like uh, what's the word I'm looking for like the the female interest to okay. it because mm-hmm. because it has a romantic side to it as well sure. you know uh, maybe they're thinking well comic books are you know it's mostly guys that are going to come to this thing so what do we do to kind of kind of bring in that other part of the audience sure no yeah absolutely and I, I what I did like about I think what I, I liked about that first half was it, it showed us um, a female character kicking some serious ass yeah, stepping right. in more so. And let me clarify: I don't know. I don't think that it would be necessary for that that romantic side. I think right. there's clearly plenty of plenty of women that love comic books, love mm-hmm. what they are. They love like that, like the the empowerment of that superhero, female superhero heroine, take care of business. And uh, you know, I, I I don't think we get enough of that with the uh, um, the superhero movies that are out now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and we're going to go into a different world here uh, for example Black Widow should have had a movie oh, six to eight years ago yeah agreed you know I think there should be there's a there's a lot more than just Black Widow out there as far as and Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. 
and even Batgirl. There's just a lot more superheroes out there on the female side that we could see that, like I said earlier, kick some serious ass and have a great story. Black Widow's story is, is a tragic story, as is oh, most yeah. comic book um, heroes are. I think, yeah, I think from Marvel's side, Black Widow would have been a great, a great movie. I don't, not necessarily to start with, but would have been like that story is incredible and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conversely, from DC's side, I think I really think DC would be a lot farther along had they, instead of trying to do another Superman movie, had they gone, had they started with a Wonder Woman yeah. movie. I haven't seen a trailer for that yet. Oh, Is it's it incredible. Good? Yeah. yeah, I think it looks great. I'm excited. That was probably my favorite part of Batman versus Superman was Wonder Woman's entrance. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think personally, I think it looks amazing. I was watching it with Danielle, my fiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched the trailer together, and she. Uh, she's not like super into comic stuff. Um, she likes certain things to a level, but she doesn't read comic books. Like she likes Spider Man, she likes some different things like that, but not sure. like she's not like me where I'll go buy the comics and I'll read them. Mm-hmm. Um, but she saw the trailer and she was like, "Oh, that looks amazing!" Like, yeah, like she's super into it. Awesome. So cool. uh, I think even just from the trailer, they probably they probably did their job. They did a good job of like hitting that. Hey, let's let's put a female on screen that is uh, independent, that is strong and mm-hmm. makes decisions and can kick some ass, but and but also doesn't need doesn't need a man necessarily right. to carry her through that. Mm-hmm. No, well, well, very well put, Jason. Well, thanks. <laughs> Podcast over with. Very well. All right. Um, so yeah, well, well killing joke. Um, yeah, I, the first half I really went, didn't dig too much. The last half, you know, I really enjoyed the last half. Um, and I think I enjoyed the Killing Joke uh, so much as a story because I think what people are used to are the Frank Miller Batman. Um, mm-hmm. The hard as nails, gritty, dark and brooding, um, film noir type right. Batman. Yeah. Um, killing Joke Batman's a little different. It's, it's, it's a, little, um, a little lighter. It's not as dark and brooding. Right. Um, he's he's not as film noir. She's not. Even though that story, that story is a pretty brutal story. It is, but not on a Batman level. It's more mm-hmm. of um, Commissioner Gordon level. Sure. Yeah. And it's it's that's that's the heart of the story are the Gordons. Right. Doesn't really focus so much on Batman. Mm-hmm. Joker's uh, the integral part of it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see a part that I don't. Maybe we've seen a little of, but that ending, Batman's laughing. Right. With yeah, you never see that. That's incredible. That's a whole new side of the character. Mm-hmm. And going back with Frank Miller, I think we progress Batman and more and more, and, and, and we've been stuck in that whole depressed, dark, and gloomy state, and we've gone away from superheroes who who smile. I mean, if you look on other issues, past issues, back in the day, superheroes on the covers were they had grins on them, and Rebirth mm-hmm. nowadays. Rebirth, if you've seen the picture of Rebirth, they're grinning too. Yeah. It, I like the dark and brooding. I like the, the, the gloomy, gritty uh, yeah. Batman. But I, I do like a little lightheartedness as well. Sure. My heroes. You like a little, uh, you like a little 1960s Batman in your, in your souffle of Batman. Hey, it's nice your, to not... In your stew. <laughs> my, uh, my Batman loops. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it, every, I, I do like the dark stuff. I gravitate towards the dark stuff more, yeah. but every once in a while, it's good to get in the light. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I agree. So, uh, I clearly we can talk about Batman all night, but 
I want you on the podcast because uh, obviously boldly going, people doing the thing that they love, people kind of chasing that dream, and uh, you in a lot of ways the epitome of that. You're you're put you just put out a film. You're going to film school. You're going that avenue. So uh, talk about that. Like what? That's your dream. That's your passion. Do film? Yes, absolutely. Um, and it goes back a long, long time ago in Ohio, far, far away. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did was, you grow up in Ohio? Uh, well, I was born in Ohio. I was born in Chillicothe, Ohio. Ohio's first capital. I don't know where that is. It's about an hour south of Columbus, more okay. towards the Kentucky border. Got it. But okay. I think we lived there till about 95 or 96, and my mom and my brother and I moved down here. Um, to Tampa. Yeah, we lived in uh, uh, Lake Carlton Arms there, that uh, apartment complex there on Van Dyke. Lived there for mm, a couple mm-hmm. of years. And then we moved to uh, Lutz Land Lakes area in 99. Got it. Lived there. Went to high school there. and Okay. So, so growing up in Ohio, mm-hmm. film, I mean, there's nothing else to do in Ohio, especially that part of really? Ohio. Well, there's Cedar so, Point and Kings Island. And yeah, like I said, there's not really anything exactly. else to do in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, we lived, uh, I think the earliest I can go back, um, of having memories, um, of, of film living in Ohio was we, when we lived in Finley, Ohio, I was, uh, I was about five, maybe six years old. And my dad and I would always sit in the living room and we'd watch everything that he grew up with as far as TV shows. We were watching Three Stooges. Twilight Zone, um, a show called Kolchak the Night Stalker, which was a huge influence on X-Files. Yeah. Yeah. Lost in Space, Man from U.N.C.L.E., just all these shows that he grew up with. Mm -hmm. And my mom wasn't too keen on me watching the scary stuff like Kolchak, and she wasn't too keen on me watching um, Jaws. I remember she was not happy with with Jaws, the interview with the vampire. And Jaws, when I first saw Jaws, that was what really... um, kicked it in gear for me okay that's what really set me in motion i must have been five maybe six years old i remember going i want to do that that's what i want to do so you saw jaws and your thought was i want to make yeah i don't want to i don't want to get eaten by jaws right i I don't if that is somebody's dream to be eaten by jaws they have some sort of weird philia that's (laughs) uh, i i don't even know what the hell that's called i so time out my response to seeing Jaws for the first time was, I never want to go in the water again. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yours was, I want to get in the water and make a film. Yeah. I, I want to do that. I want to, I want to make a movie like this that has, a, that has an impact on audiences like it did. I remember my mom and dad were talking about it in the living room going, when this movie came... My parents don't sound like 1930s <laughs> broadcasters, but when this movie came out, it just terrified people. Nobody wanted to go in the water. But with me, it was like, it was gripping. It, it had me glued in at the age of five or six years old. You know, a lot of five and six-year-old um, kids, are, they don't, they're not really glued in to the TV set, fixated on what they're watching, unless it's like a cartoon or something. Mm-hmm. Here I have this, I have Spielberg's, I think, like second or third film. It's a mature film for a five, so it's a terrifying film yeah. for a five or six-year-old. Absolutely. But the impact it had on me was great. <clears throat> It made me want to do what I want to do today, what I'm pursuing and chasing today. Okay. But I didn't understand the mechanics of it, you know, five or six years old. Right. Went on watching. 
I will say this though, what is fascinating to me is that you understood at that age that somebody made that. Mm-hmm. That like it processed that someone's job was making that movie. That it wasn't something like this is a real thing or like you know right. what you think about as kids, like you just assume everything you see a lot of times is just you don't consider all of the what it took for that to be in front of you right. on a television. And um, that that stuck with me throughout my childhood because after that movie, it's like my dad's like, okay, we're watching Night of the Living Dead. We're watching Evil Dead. We're watching Friday 13. Because I think he saw that like I could differentiate at a young age the difference between fantasy and reality. Okay. And we, all, we lived behind a cornfield. And I remember he... Oh. Yeah. Wait a second. Did he ever show you children in the corn? Um, I think we may have watched... I think when the Christopher Reeves, John Carpenter remake came out, we watched it. Okay. Which I don't remember too much about. That might have been the last time I've seen it. Okay. All right. <laughs> because I saw Children of the Corn when I was a little kid. Oh, no. That's Village of the Damned. I got that all wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw Children of the Corn when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I lived nowhere near a cornfield, and I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> like... And I live at my house been across the street from the cornfield. Yeah. I'm like, we're moving. Let's get nobody. <laughs> Let's get out of here. I don't think I've ever talked to someone that has a good story about cornfields ever. It's always like a horror story. And mine. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> I mean, have we, it's, have you seen? Have you ever seen a movie or anything positive shown in a in a cornfield? No. Yeah. <laughs> what do you always see in cornfields? People getting murdered. Yeah. People being buried. Aliens. Aliens. Signs. Aliens. <laughs> Which are can be killed by water. Who would have thought? People getting run over. <laughs> yeah. Well, we so we lived behind this this cornfield, and I remember my dad told me this um, story of a man that lived in the cornfield with a golf club for a hand, and he would <laughs> he would come out at nighttime and ask if children wanted to play golf with him. <laughs> That and that scared the hell. You would think watching Jaws. That scared you. That scared the shit out of me. And he he told me this story the night he had his birthday party. He had a huge kegger going on in the backyard. And he was a um, my dad was a high school teacher and a basketball coach. Okay. So um, he had um, and he would play. He would go to the the rec and play ball with his buddies there. And they were like these these lumbering six foot six and, and taller guys. Right. And uh, I remember. At my dad's party, he told me the story of the golf club armed man. <laughs> and then his buddy, who's 6'6", came up to me, and he's like, yeah, and he drives a white car also. <laughs> and then this white car comes zooming from the front lawn into the backyard. We didn't have a fence. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. This white car comes zooming out from the, from the front lawn, comes barreling through the backyard, and crashes straight into the cornfield. What? And my my dad's six foot six friend remained calm and just looked over at me and goes, That's him right now. And then they all ran into the cornfield and I heard nothing but screams and hooting and hollering. What? And then my mom's like, It's okay, nothing's going on. Do you want to go in there? And I'm like, No. What kind of terrible parents did you have? <laughs> they were great parents. <laughs> they made me who I am right now, which is why I make creep, creep people out at work. So okay. much, so much about your life makes so much sense suddenly. <laughs> well, it came to, well, we come to find out 
that well I did go in the cornfield with my mom come to find out there actually was a, a golf art man living in your cornfield and he was the most polite man <laughs> he served gingerbread tea the nicest guy on the planet <laughs> he, learned, he taught me how to putt putt he was just misunderstood <laughs> yeah his arm twirled he made this weird <laughs> sound it was like a kitchen appliance but we went into the cornfield come to find out you know, there was no man living in there. And then my, the hooting and hollering came from, um, they were throwing corn stalks at each other. They were just tearing corn stalks okay. off and throwing it at each other. Yeah. Cornfield, drunkenly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds to me, like that to me, he made up this, he made up this story for you as a kid. That to me sounds like M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan, ding dong? Yeah. <laughs> Like when I saw the preview for uh, Lady in the Water or whatever yeah. it was, and I heard, oh, that was a that was a bedtime story that he wrote for his kids. I thought, what kind of terrible parent is M. Night Shyamalan? <laughs> well, I can relate. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that isn't that isn't the end of it. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Continue. We, we went camping one time. Oh man. And uh, and uh, my dad brought more of his basketball. That- that's that's never a good start to a story. Right. We went camping this one time. So we went camping and we packed so up our belongings. Who died? <laughs> I saw blood. My dad said, don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll get around to that later. <laughs> Shut up, kid. So, <laughs> we go camping and my friend, my, my well, my dad brought his, um, again, he brought his lumbering basketball uh, player friends mm-hmm. along for the ride. And... <clears throat> One of them leaves again. Might have been the same guy that told me, oh, it's the guy. Might have been the same guy again. Leaves to go take a leak in the woods or whatever. So while he's gone, my dad is like, Al, come closer. Let's tell a ghost story. So I'm like, oh, cool. Sorry, ghost stories. He starts telling me this werewolf story of this werewolf that lurks in the the woods. (laughs) And... And, and and feasts. We were part of Indian guides, my dad. And if, and if you don't know, okay. and if nobody knows what Indian guides are, it's basically like a, a father and son thing that the YMCA had. Okay. You know, everyone, their father, fathers and sons would go out camping for a weekend and whatnot, and we'd get badges. And it's kind of a YMCA version of Boy Scouts. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And okay. we have vests and patches and whatever. <clears throat> so he's like, uh, the werewolf only comes out when an Indian guide is here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no. And he tells me this story. I don't remember the whole story, but all of a sudden, the guy that went to take a leak comes running out of the woods with this huge werewolf mask on and, and tackles me to the ground. Gently. He doesn't like <laughs> slam me to the ground. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but he comes up close enough and like rocks my seat and like I kind of fall over with him kind of holding on. Yeah. So that's that story. So I See, <laughs> all of these things are the reasons I'm terrified of... <laughs> Of scary movies. This is why I will not watch scary movies. <laughs> you, on the other hand, your response to all this kind of stuff is, I want to, I want to terrify other people yes. with my horror films. Absolutely. And um, you know, John Carpenter um, said something along those lines, kind of like, um, "What frightens me is what frightens you." And it's a real simple quote. Mm. I think, on as a whole, um, we're all kind of scared of the same things. Yeah, um, and it, it might not have to be a supernatural thing, but I, and I think that that fear is um, the unknown and uncertainty. I think John Carpenter is talking about that because when we do watch a horror film, <clears throat> it's unknown. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's uncertain what's going to happen to these characters on screen. It's uncertain what uh, what the killer is going to do next, or what the supernatural entity is going to do next. We're always on the edge of our seats, wondering what's going to happen next. Mm. And I think we're that way in life. What's going to happen next? And I think we think too much about it that it becomes frightening. And I think I I want to say that's what John Carpenter's talking about. I don't know. He might just it might just be basic and generic as it is. But to me, that's what it, that's what it kind of means to me. Interesting. I yeah, that quote sounds like um, either either he means that or these are literally the nightmares I've had my whole life, and I just made them into a movie to scare yeah. you. Also, exactly. <laughs> Which um, yeah, <clears throat> a lot of um, filmmakers will take, and, and artists will take their dreams or nightmares yeah. and, and put them into a movie. Sure. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, even I mean, not even just that medium, but other other mediums of art as well. Yeah. All kind of comes from those. A lot of those same kind of things. Uh, what do you think the fascination with? I'm going to come back to your story because. Sure. But what do you think the fascination with horror films and things that scare us, like people like roller coasters? Mm-hmm. I hate roller coasters. They scare me. Right. I hate that. I hate that gut feeling, that drop feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many people love that. They love that discomfort. They love that that fear. What do you think that fascination is with all that? Um, I think um, I think horror is it's otherworldly. It's um, it's something that brings us out of um, essentially real life more than I think any other genre besides fantasy. Ultimately, films mm-hmm. take us out and put us in the world but right. a horror is like a whole new meaning it's like medium it's like you're stepping off of our world and going into an unknown world and it's it's like this this haunting um, um, uncertainty like we're going back to that uncertainty and, and an unknown we don't we don't know you know we've never witnessed firsthand um, this a zombie mm-hmm. coming at us we've never witnessed firsthand um, a demon uh, possession yeah it's like these uh, these things that we're not privy to. It's, it's almost like a taboo. Yeah. Almost watching these, and I think it's that it's that taboo desire. I think it's I think it's that um, that fear that drives the adrenaline to when that big jump scare when that big jump scare happens. We love it so much. Mm. I think that's why people enjoy it it's because it's that whole adrenaline rush of what am I getting myself into. What is this? What am I watching? This is crazy. This is bizarre. Yeah. And I think it's that also that question, why would anybody like this? But I like it. Yeah. You know, you're trying... And, and there's something about being in a theater full of people, too, at a horror movie. Everyone is one in a movie. Everything's quiet. Everybody's quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, people scream at the same time. People laugh at the same time. And I, I think... Um, that's why people enjoy horror a, a lot is... Um, it's also a good bonding. It's also kind of like a quiet bonding experience with one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I uh, not a not in a horror movie, but when I saw Force Awakens, Star Wars Force Awakens mm-hmm. opening, you know, that night, like, and they did a really good job. I think, which I think is lost a little. This art is lost a little bit in our world these days. Of, but they did a great job of showing you the movie without telling you anything that 
actually is going to happen in the movie. Sure. In their trailers. Like, you got the sense that it was a Star Wars movie, but you didn't know what was going on. And I remember sitting there in the theater, uh, so anxious, first of all, because to see what, to see the movie. But then the collective, every time the surprise of something happened, that collective, everyone going, oh, what? Yeah. Or, you know, not seeing that thing coming, uh, which I think is a lost the lost sense of that a lot of times. And that's the first time I remember really sitting in a movie and that I'm 37 years old mm-hmm. and that's the first, that's the only time I can think of in my entire life that I've had that experience. Right. And isn't that great when that happens? Don't you feel, doesn't it feel like nostalgic and old school when that happens? Yeah. Yeah. It makes you want to go back to the theaters again. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. But it is, it is interesting that collective energy in the room mm-hmm. that, like you said, everyone there is one at that moment. Right. Experiencing the same thing together at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing what's about to happen. I recently went and saw, um, well, not recently, but probably like a, about a month ago, I went and saw um, Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, God, if, if, if nobody has seen... The Conjuring or uh, Insidious or pretty much any James Wan film, you need to get out there and go watch it because yeah, it'll never happen because I've never seen any of them. <laughs> Loser. Nor will I. <laughs> Pansy. <clears throat> um, <laughs> no. Yep. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> Straight up Pansy. I, I own it. No, no. Uh, no, horror is not for everybody, <clears throat> and there's there's people that work that I, I talk to all the time, and you know, oh, I gave horror up. It's like, it's like a bad addiction they have. <laughs> I gave it for Gave it up uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> Been a lot better since. A lot of dark, a lot of dark thoughts. <laughs> a lot less a lot, Jack Nicholson these days. A lot of darkness has left my life since then. <laughs> sure, I'll take it. I'll feed off of it. Give it to me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what the hell? Okay. Yeah, Conjuring, uh, James Wan, Conjuring. No one's ever seen those movies. Those are good examples of um, classic horror as, as much as they are real with jump scares, they're done right. Mm-hmm. Because he's James Wan has a great composer with him. I think his name is uh, Joseph Bashara or whatever. Bishara, something like that one. They bald guy. He plays um, the demons in Conjuring and Insidious. Oh, interesting. Okay. So um, his his score is very angsty <clears throat> and uh, it keeps you on the edge of your seats. A lot of like that weird like weird violins. <laughs> And those weird in-your-face blasts of horns when things happen. And James, the thing about James Wan is he's not afraid to show you the demon. He'll show it to you right out of the gates. Mm, you know, you might have like a, a pan, a, the camera's panning left, it keeps going left and left until we have the main character in frame. Mm-hmm. We have the main character in frame, the demon's like right over the shoulder. And saying, oh. just yelling things like, my house or something like that you know no I'm it's good. a chill it's goosebumps it's goosebumps <clears throat> and it's great and I love that what James Wan does is he those loud abrasive noises mixed with that that great score it's a it's a feeling of unease and unsettling and I mean that the, the scares when they happen are hair raising and they get the goosebumps going on your arms yeah and when I saw Conjuring 2 I mean, there were people kind of, you know, how the girls get in their their seat with the, the knees are up and they're yeah. like hugging themselves, like shaking, and then they're on their boyfriend's arm clutching and digging nails in. Uh, the, Nick, that's not just a girl's thing. Uh, that's what I do watching a scary movie. I'd love to see a scary movie with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done it. I've done it a few times with, yeah. with friends. Like, 
they, I let my guard down and they talked me into it. But I always tell them, listen, I'm just going to warn you right out of the gate. Uh, there's going to be a lot of cussing in this movie. Uh, not from the movie, from me. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, me, me punching you or grabbing, grabbing your arm or your, your, your shirt, shirt, shirt. Yeah. It's probably going to, I'm going to be very, uh, I don't, I'm going to be very much a wuss. Your eardrum's going to bleed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to scream like a little kid. You will have nail marks in your arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. <laughs> I, have, I do have to take back my last statement, though, about Force Awakens. That's the, uh, now I think about it, there is one other time that I remember having that same experience. Yeah. And it's when I went to the theater to see Scream. Oh. And I don't one. know why I agreed to do that. Because it was awesome. And... But yeah, I, but that movie was a, like totally unexpected. You didn't see any of that coming. Right. Kind of thing. And I remember collectively, even one of my friends, like one of my friends, he left. He, he, lived, he was a, at the time, was like 30 year old adult mm-hmm. and uh, lived by himself, had lived by himself for years. He went to his parents' house and slept on the couch because he was too scared to go no. home and stay in his own house. <laughs> oh, that's rich. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that totally makes sense, I guess. I guess there's something about life with all of us that we hate the unexpected and we don't like the unknown, but at the same time, uh, we like it because it gives us that thrill, mm-hmm. but we're afraid of it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that's, to sum up nicely, I think that's that's horror genre in general. Yeah. <clears throat> and... You were just talking about Scream, and I think um, an effective, an effective horror film at the core. I mean, at the core, it's horror. But I think an effective movie has another genre in it that makes it a good horror. And mm. Scream is a perfect example of that because it's not just horror. If you take yeah. away horror, if you take away horror, you have like a teen comedy almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie has comedy in it. Yeah. <laughs> Take away comedy, it's still a horror. Yeah. I would say that movie, to, to me, that movie, of the few horror films in my life that I've seen, mm-hmm. that to me was a stroke of brilliance because they very cleverly, on the edge of you thinking, expecting the, the scare, the, uh, the, the surprise jump, they drop comedy on you which lightened, lightened your mood, lessened your tension, and then on the heels of that, hit you with, yep. hit you with the horror, the jump. That's what's effective about when you have another genre in a horror movie. Just like you said, you're, 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 you're in the moment with these characters or bullshitting on the couch talking about God knows what from a cotton eye other damned if I know, and then all of a sudden, the killer comes out and right in right. the back of someone's head or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that one... That one too. I think uh, for a lot of people, that one was so that one was so much more scary because oh, that could actually happen. Mm. This is this isn't an otherworldly thing. This right. is someone could walk into your show up at your party like yeah, I'm kill everybody. And <clears throat> because it's so real, also that realism. If you go back to um, John Carpenter's Halloween, Michael mm. Myers, mm-hmm. that is just a man. That right. He's not supernatural yet. I mean, fucking ten sequels later. You know. <laughs> but in that movie, and another quote from him, he said, to, to make Michael Myers scary, I had to make him walk like a man. He walks oh, like wow. I do. He walks like you do. Fascinating. He's just a stalker at that point. That's all he is. He, 
Interesting. That's why that movie is it's terrifying because that shit can actually happen. Oh man, there's so much brilliance in that statement. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that wild? When you think about your if you vision Michael Myers in your head, you just think of damn, I mean he walk like me, he can walk like you, you can walk like him down the road. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. It adds a whole new level of, of creepiness to that movie. Wow. That's crazy. Okay, so going back to Ohio. Yeah. So you moved. Let's get back to your story here for a second. Um, at what point did you... So you moved here. At what point did you actually start trying to pursue anything type of film or learning about film or how films are made and studying all that? I think it was uh, middle school. It probably was middle school on the cusp of high school. I had roughly eighth grade. Um, I remember getting my first taste of uh, Quentin Tarantino films and Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just started to devour the independent film scene and the, the old school um, Hitchcock, um, Fellini, Italian director, mm-hmm. um, David Lynch. Started devouring all these kind of simplistic films. And it made me curious, like, well, how does, how does a movie start? I mean, it starts with a script. Well, it starts with an idea, and then it goes yeah. to a script. Well, how do you write a script? How does Tarantino write his scripts? Tarantino listens to he'll listen to a record and get ideas from a song, and then mm-hmm. so he's like, "Oh, cool! That's why if you all his movies except for the last one, they're they're not they don't have a composer. They're all just songs from Ooh. like Roy Orbison or 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 you know something from uh, I don't know Gap Gold Band or whatever." listen to it, gets ideas for a movie. So I'm like, that's intriguing, okay. So I got into script writing mm-hmm. about the, the eighth grade. Um, and so I, from there, it's like, well, how does, how, does a script, um, how does a script get off the floor? I mean, then you have table readings, and then uh, everyone gets together, and they, they, they go over these characters. and So, okay, that's great. So that's, post, that's pre-production. You're getting your locations, everything. But as I'm watching these movies, I'm getting more questions, more questions. Well, how does, what's production like? You know, who the hell's a gaffer? Who, who's a key grip? Um, what is a, what's the DP? What's the director's sole job in this? Mm-hmm. And I was more um, um, fascinated by the role of writer and director based off of Quentin Tarantino, um, Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. <clears throat> David Lynch. John Carpenter, who also composes his own movies. He's a oh, writer, yeah. director, and composes. Wow. Which led me into, in high school, when I was in band, I go, what about composing? That would be pretty cool to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that only scratches the surface. So when you watch, like, an Alfred Hitchcock film, and you see these, what he's doing, and Orson Welles films, you see what he's doing with the camera, and he's doing these, these dolly zooms. And there's one in particular on uh, in Vertigo. It only lasts for a few seconds, but it's a it's a it's a real famous shot. It's when James Stewart looks down, and the camera does this thing where it goes up, and like the background like stays the same. It, it looks like the the room is expanding, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's called a dolly zoom. Okay. And it's only it only lasts for like a few seconds. So that sparked my curiosity, these weird shots. And then you got Orson Welles with his, his, uh, his one-take tracking shots. There's one in the beginning of um, Touch of Evil that lasts like 10 minutes, maybe 15. Mm-hmm. And it just shows this opening scene. It shows this, uh, this rough character, this street gang guy. And he's 
these street level, and then it goes above. The, it goes above. We get an aerial view of the whole city, and then we come back down, and we follow these characters and traffic, and then it goes. Uh, that fascinated me as well. These intricate shots. Yeah. How are they doing it? Yeah. John Carpenter does wide, wide shots. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> and we'll okay. go back to Halloween. We'll, we'll have Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and the stairs when she's being stalked by Michael Myers and then all of a sudden you see Michael Myers just appear in the darkness behind her you see the silhouette of him and then it grows more and more exponentially to when he's full figured and mm-hmm. he comes out and tries to stab her <clears throat> how does he do that? Mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> it, it just I had a hunger for how to direct how to move the camera um, how to how to properly um, script format okay also how to keep it simple you got film like clerks mm-hmm. dudes in a convenience store brilliant he's he got more mm-hmm. out of being simple yeah Sultan Precinct 13 you got guys holed up in a jail right. battling a gang it's just Rio Bravo Howard Hawks is Rio Bravo mm-hmm. you know so then when you study these directors and their techniques, and you go, well, what were they influenced by? Everyone's influenced by something. Mm-hmm. You go back, you look at Howard Hawks. Huge influence on Carpenter. Tarantino loved Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks did um, The Thing from Another World back in the 30s, and he did probably one of the best westerns, which I love westerns too. I love spaghetti westerns. He did Rio Bravo with John Wayne and Dean Martin. Yeah. That's just a, one of the quintessential westerns to watch. Right. Carpenter loved it. Tarantino loves it. So, and I forgot Kubrick too. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick is one of just, he's a tour de force uh, directing wise. And he's got these long shots too, these long tracking shots. One familiar one, one, one real famous one is in The Shining when he's following Danny on the little bicycle through the hallway. And it keeps going, and he goes over each, and the sound of that's incredible too. And he's biking, he hits a rug, it goes quiet, hits the hardwood floor. And it goes all the way in the hallway when you see that famous shot of the two girls in the hallway. Yeah. Come play with us, Danny. Mm-hmm. What goes into that? <clears throat> and it, the hunger just it, it kept going and going and going as I was exposed to films. But by the time I was a junior in high school, I started writing my own scripts. <clears throat> I was sitting in the back of the class on, on notebook paper. just and It was very crude, obviously. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but... I started writing in the back of the class, and, in my, and because I was engulfed in the world of, of my movie I was mm-hmm. creating, my grades started to suffer a little bit. And then, uh, I, and this, is, this shouldn't be anyone's influence, but I remember Stanley Kubrick saying that he was totally, he just was not interested in school whatsoever. Yeah. Hated school. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to be an artist, wanted to create film. Tarantino dropped out of high school when he was like 16. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's this huge Hollywood director. And, I, you know, I, at the time when you're like 16, 17, and, you know, you're devouring these movies, you're getting influences from these people, and you're like, oh, I want to be like that. Right, yeah. Fuck school. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what happened for my junior and senior year. I kind of sat in the back and wrote scripts, and I had people, my friends, read them, and they're like, oh, you know, this is really cool. But meanwhile, I'm like, so can I copy that homework from last night? <laughs> hey, screw your test over a little bit. Let me cheat off of that. I'll let you be in my film one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, well, 
kind of lost touch with those friends. <laughs> They're probably on Facebook now going, damn. Yeah, man, he's making it. Oh, I should have let him copy. I know. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so you so you go through high school, you graduate. Why did you go to the Navy then if that's the if that's what you wanted to do? Well, um, when I got out of high school, I kind of slacked off a little bit. Um, I, was ni- I graduated when I think I was 18. About a few weeks later, it was my 19th birthday. I went to um, Pasco Hernando Community College mm-hmm. for a semester. <clears throat> there again. <clears throat> Still wasn't interested in school. I mean, I was getting good grades until I failed algebra. <laughs> <laughs> So I failed algebra, and then I didn't, had no desire um, to go back to school. I didn't accept failure too well back okay. then. I didn't learn how to embrace failure. Yeah. So I said, well, all right, well, I'll just, this is my life. I'll, I guess I'll just keep working at Subway, and maybe I'll keep writing these flunky scripts on notebook paper, and maybe one day I'll, I'll make something. And I, and I bought a camera. I bought, um, I forgot, a Sony Handycam. Mm-hmm. And my buddies and I would film. This is when Jackass was big. You know, we'd go out and do just stupid shit. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget one time when we did try a, an effort to film. And um, we were on the side of a road. And the, th- the scene was is, is basically just a guy coming up and, and slicing somebody with a knife and guts would spill out. Mm-hmm. So for intestines, I had the idea of filling up condoms with peanut butter. Okay. Tying them off. Uh-huh. Dipping them in red food coloring. Okay. And that would be intestines. So, you know, we're on the side of the road. <clears throat> I got a camera. Come up with this knife. It's a fake knife, mind you. Slash away. My buddy has the, the intestines, and they spill out all over the place. Well, while this is happening, a car drives by. <laughs> car drives by, sees what happens, hits the brakes. You know. Three, four minutes later. Car drives off. Three, four minutes later, a cop shows up. <laughs> that lady thought I killed my friend. Because <laughs> she saw this intestine spill out. And I'm like, yeah. did you not see how flimsy this knife is in the air? Uh-huh. I mean, come on. It's a Halloween prop. <laughs> and then the cop, he pulls up and he gets out. I mean, he knows. Mm-hmm. It's fake. Mm-hmm. It's like, next time, just don't do this on a main road. <laughs> Keep it out for cars, yeah. kid. Like, you know, it's real creative what you're doing here. It's great. <clears throat> Keep it off the main road. But yeah. So I, I did try things. Take it to a darker, ominous, more ominous <laughs> road, please. <laughs> Go to the shed in the field back there. <laughs> the dark shed that says free hugs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying things, but, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't going anywhere. It's not like I was submitting anything. Mm-hmm. And I was living at home with my parents, and they were getting tired of it. Okay. So, you know, they sat me down at the table one night because I, w- I wasn't bringing in money and I wasn't going anywhere. I was living at home freeloading. Sat me down and they gave me an itemized list of how much it would cost to live there. Okay. And it was a big dumbass amount. More than I could afford working at Subway being a sandwich artist. <laughs> right. Quote unquote sandwich artist. Um, so I decided, like, I had to do something with my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I looked into the military. First it was Coast Guard, but something, something happened I'm not going to go into, um, paperwork-wise. So I joined the Navy. Okay. I'm like, cool, man. You know, I'll get on the ship. It'll be fun. You know, the, the recruiters. 
you know, oh yeah, yeah. They're, they're like oh yeah you'll you'll go to you'll go to all these countries you'll mm-hmm. see the world it's like mm-hmm. a city on board you know it's like mm-hmm. razzle dazzle you know they make it sound like it's fucking chicago on board it's mm-hmm. just this great place you're gonna have fun in and it's it's not <laughs> it's 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 uh it's, it's uh it's the military yeah but when you know you're 19 20 years old i think by the time i joined it was it was 20 um you know you want to get out of the house and they make it sound grandiose and it's going to be a hippie hey-ho animal house time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know sign your name on the dotted line right my first day at boot camp was my 21st birthday oh that's brutal <laughs> yeah we uh, got to Chicago O'Hare at about 1 in the morning maybe midnight or something like that mm-hmm. first day 21st birthday called the petty officer sir and right there in the airport he yelled at me you do not call me sir you idiot you call me petty officer I was like yes sir petty officer <laughs> in the airport man in the airport <laughs> So in the with the uh, with with the Navy, I, would you say you look you look back on that now and go, oh, I wasted four years of my life for however long it was that you were in? Absolutely not. All right, um, I didn't have any motivation or drive to do anything before I joined the Navy. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, well, I failed. <clears throat> Whatever, that's fine. Yeah, I'll just you know go make sandwiches and maybe I'll move out at some point. Parents will understand. No big deal. You know, they'll keep buying me groceries and Dunkaroos or. Pizza rolls at the grocery store. No big yeah. Deal. Um, no, it, it taught me um, self-discipline. Mm-hmm. It, it taught me how to be a responsible person. Um, it taught me how to, um, and they teach you the the core values of honor, courage, commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it instilled that in, into me. The, the military made me a better person. Yeah. It made me more. It made me motivated, and it, it drove me because I didn't want to do the military forever. Yeah, it's like well, I can you know keep not getting seventy two <laughs> hours of sleep straight. Mm-hmm. Ninety six was my grand total. Mm. I can keep doing that, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to be hallucinating. You know, I want to make movies. And even when I was in the military, I was still writing. Yeah, you know, people would go out on liberty, I'd stay on the boat, write scripts, and then uh, in, in the format they weren't supposed to be in. And uh, I, I still pursued that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, how do you now? Thirty. Okay. So, thirty years old. The reason I'm asking this is there's a purpose of this. So, thirty mm-hmm. years old. Um, some would maybe look at, well, you're thirty. You spent all this. You've wanted to make films since you were a kid. You haven't done anything since till now. Sure. You're thirty. You did all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? You have a thought on that? Has anyone said that to you? Have you? Do you get negativity about? Well, dude, you're too old to start trying to do that kind of stuff. Like you should have a big boy career. <laughs> I have never. Uh, nobody's ever said anything like that to me. Like, oh, mm. you're too old. Good. Um, <clears throat> I have always surrounded myself with people. That, I mean, no, I've had one person. Okay. One person, but I didn't really know him too well, so it didn't really matter. Um, I've always surrounded myself with good supportive people. I've always had good supportive friends and family, like yourself. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I, just because people have have told have not told me that doesn't mean I haven't thought it though. And mm-hmm. I voice this to some people. I'm like, oh man, you know, I went in the military at first, you know, 21, got yeah, out. And you started late. Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
got out 25, maybe 26. I can't, I can't really remember. And I'm like, wow. And I took a couple of years off. I didn't go to school till two years ago. Mm-hmm. Took a couple of years off. I lived with, you know, Daniel and Caesar, mm-hmm. which, and then, uh, some other friends, some other friends of ours. And even then I was writing scripts, but I'm like, man, this is, I mean, do I want to keep pursuing this? I mean, this is hard. I mean, trying to get into the industry. I mean, I'm not in right now, Yeah. you know, but I'm still pursuing. Mm -hmm. But at a point I'm like, man, you know, I'm almost 28. I haven't done anything. I mean, I'm writing these things and I'm saying to people, oh, I'm doing this, doing that. But nothing has come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know, I, I don't know how to get in. I don't know what to do. I, I, maybe I am too old now. I mean, I look at other filmmakers, and they started in their early twenties. And you know, Spielberg made movies when he was a teenager on like this little Super Eight camera. Right. So I'm like, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm too old. I, this is it. And I'm just going to criminal justice. Okay. I got a background with the military. Yeah. I got a top secret clearance. Blah blah blah. I just do that. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so someone on Facebook, I forgot who it was. It was the guy I served with. He private messaged me, and he's like, "Why are you pursuing criminal justice?" You're on Facebook all the time talking about how great these movies are. You always watch the movies, you know. You always talked about writing scripts on the boat. Why aren't you doing that? Why do you want to be in the FBI? Wow. And he's like, I think he told me up front. He's like, he put it in caps lock. That's a waste of time. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It was only one person that sparked it back again. <clears throat> I had lost interest. I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be filmed. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just be a fan of films, you know. Yeah. Until he messaged me. Shit, man, my and said that to me, and then it just clicked. Yeah, man, I've been talking about doing this since I was five years old when I saw Jaws with my dad, looking over at him, going, "I want to do this." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it just clicked that I I needed to do that, and then it just was like, "Fuck it, I am not old." Yeah, I'm not too old. Yeah, I want to keep writing them. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try it. So and then I ended up writing one, mm-hmm. and you know you were you were casting it. Yeah, you know uh, back in October. Yeah, that was the first time anything came started to happen. Yeah, back in, it was last October. Good on that guy. Yeah, for, right. For the message. Yeah, you should give that. You should give that guy that cut of your first movie. I will. When you make, I'll give him one percent. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I started to say you should give that guy your first million. <laughs> and then I'm out a million, which means I'm out total. <laughs> if if that happens, if that ever comes that way, dude, me. that's amazing. Though. That's. I man, uh, that's so cool. Because I think there's a lot of that to me is a big difference maker for for people. Because there's a lot of negativity in our world. There's a lot of negative advice, mm-hmm. a lot of unsolicited negative advice. But I also think there's a lot of people that want you know if you try to do your thing, there's a lot of people that aren't doing their thing that want to just crap on you for because it makes them look bad or makes them feel bad. It makes right. them feel like I'm not pursuing my dreams, so they crap on your. Your dream, mm-hmm. um, but good on that guy for yeah for going. Hey, this is not what you should be doing. Yeah, like go do go chase your dream. And even my um, even some family members <clears throat> like uh, my aunt and even my mom and sometimes my dad would be like, why you want to why you want to be in criminal justice? You love movies, you love TV, you love you're creative. You know, you did mm-hmm. marching band and you write. You used to I used to write that. <laughs> I used to write short stories. I used to write fan fiction for a Blade Runner website, which I don't wow. think exists anymore. I talked about it on my, my podcast a few weeks ago with Brad. I looked up the, the website. It's not there anymore. Wow. And okay. I used to have them read it. So they were always wondering, like, I thought you wanted to make movies. 
And then they'd be like, I thought you wanted to be a producer. Well, no, you're wrong there. Not producer, director. Get it right, damn it. But I yelled at him. (laughs) Get it right. (sighs) Don't you encourage me with the wrong info. There's a difference. One has a ton of money. The other kind of (laughs) doesn't. The one gets the money. Oh, amazing. So, all right. um, I'm going to kind of rapid fire some questions to you. Sure. Um, What is the, what's the first, what's the first script you wrote? Man, first script I wrote, um, that was back in high school. I do not remember the name of it, but it was like a mixture of natural born killers and seven. Okay. I think I oh I, and I don't remember why I don't remember the story. I remember I remember the last scene was a shootout and the killer was laid out on the, the yellow traffic lines of a road like Jesus Christ when he was dead. Okay. And I remember I had a um a murder or a, a killing scene and it, it would involve like a meat a meat uh, tenderizer. Oh gosh. Just got and it, it, and the guy Ooh. Well, and it was a yeah, it was a dark subject too. I won't go into how dark it was, but basically, this guy had done something to this woman, mm-hmm. and the the guy um, captured the dude that did something to her and gave her the meat tenderizer and was like, "Do what you want with him," and because she had so much pent up anger, she was just going to town on him, and, and until he said he was sorry, and even when he said he was sorry, she was still he just kept going. Jeez. Nice. All right. So, <laughs> starting young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sophomore, junior, uh, high school. Okay. Uh, what is your fit? I think I already know, but what's your favorite genre? Oh, yeah, horror. Horror, for sure. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite film? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's my favorite mm-hmm. film. Horror-wise, it's probably The Exorcist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, why Raiders, since it's not in the genre film? Or well... That- or the horror genre. Sure. Um, there's a message in that movie, and it, it, it comes from one um, part of it. It's when Indy is fighting the big Nazi guy in front of the plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always pick little moments in movies that nobody else looks into. And it's a big moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's fighting this big guy, and the guy's clearly winning. The big, bald-headed guy's winning. Yeah. But Indiana Jones just keeps going at him and going at him. And then... The guy punches him in the face and it, it sends Andy to the ground. Mm-hmm. Andy gets back up. He's like, and he's punching away. He's not giving up. Yeah. That scene alone for me, I mean, I've even cried to that scene. That scene alone to me means so much to me mm-hmm. that he just keeps getting knocked down, but he doesn't quit. Gets back up and keeps fighting this big guy. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that speaks out to me because. You know, in life, we get knocked down so much. Mm-hmm. And it's always, you got to just get back up and keep swinging. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that probably yeah. is my, that's the reason why it's probably my favorite movie. Amazing. And because I love Harrison Ford. I mean, you know. Yeah. Who, I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. He's, I, I would, I would date Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison, if you're listening, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> you're probably not, but. <laughs> Snapchat too, but somebody can find it for him. <laughs> uh, that's man, that's amazing. That is fascinating to me. That's that's what you took away from that film. Mm-hmm. How, do you remember how old you were when you saw that, and that's what clicked to you? Gosh, um, it was young. It was uh, for, I saw Temple of Doom first. <laughs> unfortunately, no. <laughs> that, um, wow, probably 
elementary school because I got picked on a lot in elementary school. Okay. I was, was going to ask if there was something, was there a, uh, was something, what was the, I guess, exterior of your life at the time that you would have watched the film and that's the thing that you would have picked out? Yeah, I was, uh, I was a fat kid. Okay. Yeah. You always, you know, couldn't run around the playground. Yeah. Chased girls, they didn't want anything to do with me, you know, stuff like that. And, yeah. Uh, I just felt like uh, like Indiana Jones was like an inner hero for me. Yeah. Because, you know, I was getting knocked down. I got bullied in the playground. I got picked on in class. But it never it never really bothered me too much. Because mm. I always felt like I could turn on the Indiana Jones inside me. Yeah. And fight back <clears throat> in life. Man. Not let it bother me. It, I mean, it did so bother good. me sometimes, too. Yeah, of course. Well, sure. And, yeah. That's unavoidable. Yeah. Like, man, that's amazing. You could turn on the Indiana Jones inside you. That's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still do. Uh, so, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, wow. So, okay, it's favorite film, favorite genre. Uh, do you have a... Is there a bucket list for you of film-related things? Like, things that you want to do film-wise? That's like... Or people you'd want to meet, whatever. Sure. Like, what's your, what's like three or four things on a bucket list for you that before you die when it comes to film? Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, I, I want to have a, a movie come to the big screen. I, you know, that's that, that I don't care how small time it is or um, how long it is. I, that's been my dream. I've always wanted to make movies, I've always wanted to have it on the, the big screen. Um, I'd love to uh, be able, as far as film goes, um, and people, I mean, I'd, I'd love to be in the same room as my heroes. Okay. You know, I'd, I mean, I'd, and my heroes, uh, Taren, Tarantino and David Lynch, mm-hmm. and uh, John Carpenter, Sam Raimi, I'd, I'd love t- to meet those guys, mm-hmm. sit down with them. Um. I'd love to make a, a horror film that is that would that just is on the grounds of like Exorcist or something that is you know talked about you know and, and a movie that isn't necessarily a horror movie but also has a, a deep um, core to it, a deep meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a, the Poltergeist is a family drama. It's a family in trouble. It's uh, Exorcist is a family in trouble. Mm-hmm. Those are great films. Those are powerful films. I got, and I'd love to like what Indiana Jones did for me. I'd mm-hmm. love to make a movie that speaks out to somebody that is was like me, you know, in school that uh, yeah wants to keep up, keep fighting, yeah, keep doing the damn thing. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, before we talk about distilled mm-hmm. your film, uh, why I guess why film? Like, why is that your thing? Um, well, you know, I, I, and then like everybody else, we go through life trying to make things perfect mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But nothing will ever be perfect. Being able to write a script, make a movie, I'm creating a world in which I control, in which it can be perfect. Mm-hmm. And when I got behind the camera last week, I saw all the imperfections behind the camera mm-hmm. and was able to perfect it. Yeah. 
that's why I like film so much is because you're creating a world even as a cinematographer you're creating a world and it's perfect interesting and you get you can take everything around you that's imperfect and wash it away yeah yeah that's true mm-hmm. and that's what I like mm-hmm. about oh, and um, the emotional connection that you gain from the characters on screen yeah as, as fantasy as it is mm-hmm. you can always connect with somebody on screen and to bring you out of a bad time put you in a good time mm-hmm. and that's what I that's what I've loved about film that's what I've always been fascinated is that those those two aspects yeah yeah that totally makes sense I mean it makes sense especially from your childhood of that scene with Indiana Jones mm-hmm. that emotionally you connected to that yeah yeah, that's a, that's amazing. So your film distill. Mm-hmm. Talk talk about. It. Okay. Um, well, um, I'll start off how it came about. About six months ago, I had a nightmare. Okay. About this this um, this pale man, this, this entity that was just driving me to keep keep drinking away whatever whatever problems. Mm-hmm. I may have in life or whatever just kept pushing the envelope a little more taunting me mm-hmm. just keep on doing it keep on doing it and ended up you know taking the last step ended up dying in the dream I don't know if you've ever had that where you just die in a dream I don't think that I ever have I've heard other people talk about it but I don't think I've had it oh it's weird you wake up almost as if you did die because you're like <gasps> you know you're taking gasps of air wow okay. and that stuck that stuck with me so much for the last few months I haven't really mentioned it until now um so uh, I had a and the reason I think I had that nightmare is because I had a, a friend pass away New Year's Eve that we don't I mean I don't really know I'm not going to get into it yeah what it was but alcohol may or may not have had a hand in it so and I, I was close with this friend mm-hmm. and, it, and it affected me so much that it that gave me this nightmare mm. so skip ahead um, I'm in film class you know a few weeks ago and we got to make a short film so I'm like okay you know I got a couple ideas but there's this one you know I got this nightmare that's eating away at me you know I kind of want to get it on screen I think it'd be an interesting idea and so I wrote the script out and then uh, it, the professor was reading it and he's like oh man you know this is good stuff this is good stuff it's, it's very Lynchian it's mm-hmm. very like David Lynch. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, I love Lynch. It's you know? a big compliment. Yeah, I love, oh, and the dark surrealism of it all. So, um, yeah, I wrote the script out, did about three, four drafts of it, and put it on, filmed it, and here we are. How long did it take you to make it? I mean, roughly, it's a, it's only a six and a half minute uh, short, so I mean, it took me roughly, or, you know, ten hour, ten ten hours maybe to okay. to, to 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 film it. Post production is a different story that took. Yeah, me. I was going to ask like production and post production. Post and post post production and production took me roughly um, maybe four days. Okay. And then uh, the scripts, the drafts, it didn't you know, it only took me like a, I wrote it out in a day. <clears throat> the major. Okay. So the film. So basically, the film is because I've seen it. It's up now. <clears throat> I was in it. 
That's mm-hmm. really that's really what was so good. Best part in the whole movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, it's cool because I got to be I got to uh, got to be a part of it, and I got to help with the camera a little bit, which mm-hmm. is which is cool. It was fun. Um, so basically, the film is uh, the film version of a dream that you had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a direct. Interesting. Okay. That's uh, which, like, it's already uh, it's kind if it's in, it's intended to be kind of a creepy. Creepy, yeah. haunting type, type film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes it even more. Knowing that mm-hmm. and watching it makes it even more haunting. That just the thought of you having a dream and uh, Bradford, who plays the pale man, yeah, just how he plays the pale man in it, like the sheer fact that you had a dream involving something like that mm-hmm. uh, is is kind of haunting. Yeah, and the way he uh, played the pale man is exact is exactly how I visioned him, and he sounds wow. like Hal from Two Thousand One Space Odyssey, the computer that controls. Him. Yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. just like him. So when he's doing, it, I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool! Cause I love that movie. Yeah, I like anything Kubrick does or yeah. has done. But yeah, he he nailed uh, the pale man. Yeah, he does a great job. He looks yeah. super. He looks creepy just in general, but like <laughs> his facial expressions and combined with the way that he talks, like mm-hmm. emotionless speaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a little creepy. It's, it's, it's really good. So it's six half minute short. Right. Um, it's called Distilled. Distilled, right? yes. Distilled. Mm-hmm. And uh, people can watch it, right? Yep. They can go on YouTube, uh, look it up, type in Distilled Nick Pratt. And uh, you'll see it on there. It'll be a black and white, black and white image mm-hmm. characters in the frame. Um, you can go on. Uh, you can. Uh, there's a posting of it on my Facebook, and there's uh, or there's an Instagram on my Instagram account. You can find it. What's your What's all your social? Um, you can find me on Instagram at. Well, I don't really know, so I'm going to look right now. <laughs> you don't even know your own no. Instagram handle. No, <laughs> I don't. Oh, N Pratt eighty six. The number is eight six. In for Nick Pratt, P-R-A-T-T, 86. Yes. In Pratt, 86. You can look up on Instagram there and see the picture. And uh, Twitter, you can find me. I think it's under the same, uh, at at Pratt underscore Nick. At Pratt underscore Nick. Uh, My favorite, though, I I think the film is great. Mm -hmm. Creepiest part of it at the very end. You have to stick around for the whole. You gotta gotta make it to six minutes and 15 seconds, whatever it is. Like, that whole shot, which I get to be help out with, but that whole shot at the very end, and it's not even that. There's you don't even really. There's no face in that, and it's probably the creepiest thing. Yeah, he does. Yeah, that. Um, I don't remember. That did come from the dream. I know. I know that, but it, I, it was a lot more blurry and haunting in the, in the dream, of course. Yeah. But he, Brad's a, a firefighter, mm-hmm. so and he's which seen, makes it, which is even funnier. Like, yeah, this guy saves your life when you're <laughs> when you're fires, and he's seen how bodies convulse. <clears throat> right, and that's just him. He's <clears throat> there's no effect on him or nothing. That's him just convulsing, and it's like, you know, mixed with the weird sound effect that I put in there. Like it, that is a creepy shot, and you helped out with that. That was a good idea that you had um, for that shot too. Oh, you had it thanks. on the door. Yeah, yeah. That uh, man, so cool. So definitely go see, go get on YouTube, watch Distilled. 
uh, by Nick Pratt. And I think it's your YouTube channel is Nick Pratt Films, right? Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Pratt Films. Nicholas Pratt. Yeah. Nicholas Pratt Films. Awesome. So, uh, kind of wrap it up because, man, we've been talking for a while. We're really? To, yeah, we'll have to do, we'll have to do a part two. Sure, yeah. There's plenty more that we can talk about. Uh, two last questions I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you give to someone either – it doesn't just have to be from a film standpoint trying to get into film, but just in general of trying to pursue the thing that they love? Um. Never, don't ever stop. Just if you if you if you have a dream you want to do, it's never too late to do it. You know, <clears throat> um, find what drives you to do it. Mm-hmm. Tap into that motivation and keep it. Awesome. Just keep uh, keep getting up and keep swinging. <clears throat> I like it. Uh, this is a similar question. Probably would have similar advice to it, but the question I ask to every guest. Because this podcast is kind of, for me, geared towards, one, it's inspiration for me, mm-hmm. conversations are, but um, I think of people that are listening that uh, maybe were like you at 18 years old that really had no motivation, they had a dream since they were five years old, but for whatever reason, they've never gone after it. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot, like I said earlier, there's a lot of negative advice, there's a lot, all kinds of stuff. Um, do you, in your opinion, do you think every person has that ability to, as you said, get back up, keep fighting, pursue the, pursue the thing that they, that they love? Absolutely. I think everyone has the capability of doing that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what medium it is. It doesn't matter what they're chasing after. Could be, um, you know, just as simple as getting a job. Mm-hmm. Everybody has the capability of doing that, getting up, coming out swinging. Yeah, and aiming for the fence. <clears throat> I like you said, turning on that inner Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. Ah, it's great. Cool. <laughs> so if you're listening and you've never seen what he's talking about, go rent Indiana Jones. I'm sure it's probably on. I don't know if it's on Netflix, but it's somewhere. You can yeah. get it. Watch it. Get near the end of this fight scene, mm-hmm. and you'll and you'll get it. Uh, it's very Rocky esque in a different way. Yeah. Of, but that's yeah, that's brilliant. I think everyone does have that inner Indiana Jones that they can Absolutely. That they can tap into. That's that's brilliant. Uh, anything you want to promote besides distilled? Um, I mean that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, you know, just um, check it out, please. It's cool. That's my yeah. directorial debut, and share it with your friends. Yeah, we got some good talent in there too, and really good people helped out, like yourself there, and Deanne Bucholtz and Amanda mm-hmm. Tripman and. Brad Winter and Thomas DeClean, they all they're all friends of mine, they're all great people and yeah, yeah. check it out. Just gave some time to it. That's awesome. Uh, so final uh, final question to you, the listener, uh, as I end every podcast. You've heard a you've heard a story, you've heard a life story, and what I love about Nick's story is that you're not famous. You're not like you know, you're doing your thing and I think that's awesome. I think a lot of people's problem is they think I've got to be I haven't done anything until I've become famous or I've made gotten the recognition for the thing that I've done mm-hmm. as opposed to just like you're in that moment of I did my thing I made a thing it's out there if no one sees it it doesn't really matter I would love for them to see it but I made my thing just gonna do it again yeah exactly so uh, to those of you the listener um, final question to you is what can you do this week this month what's that one thing that you can do right now to begin that journey or to continue that journey of boldly going maybe you haven't started after that dream you've been putting it off um, or maybe you've done a couple things, but you 
hit some speed bumps, you haven't, you haven't continued, you kind of got discouraged, what can you do, as Nick said, to turn on the Indi- inner Indiana Jones and start pursuing that dream? And it just has to be one thing. You don't have to accomplish all of it today, this month. What's the one thing you can do to start that journey back again? So take that and uh, draw some inspiration from Nick. So, dude, thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. You're one of the funniest people I've ever known. I'll get out of town. And you don't even try. Like, it's just normal. You know how to make a man blush, that's for sure. Listen, if you did not make films, (laughs) you should totally do stand-up. No, no, no. Because you're funny. I've toyed with it, but oh, God. It's brutal. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You know what? I take it back. You might, I think maybe if you were a stand-up comic and... Tr- having to try to be funny like that maybe it wouldn't work for you yeah. I think it's just so natural to you that's just how your natural personality is oh. that when you're not all of that with you is just not trying like right. you're just being yourself and that's funny eh, it's not easy being the funny guy I tell you what <laughs> <laughs> alright man thanks you're welcome thank you everybody's done <laughs> Friends through eternity